couple weeks ago here at Calvary, we uh, began a new series, a series that I originally entitled The Word of God. I have since changed to The Battle for Truth, because that's really what we're talking about. This is a very important study, because the battle for truth is nothing less than the battle for souls, some of the very people we know and love. So it's a very important study. Paul the Apostle, writing to Timothy, a young pastor, had these words to say to him. He said, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The people of this world have been taken captive by the devil. They don't realize it. But they are in bondage to the devil. And the truth of God is the only thing that can set them free. But Paul goes on to say, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there's the war. We, as the light of God, as the truth of God, God's people, we take the, the light of God's truth out into this dark, deceived world. The devil tries his best to keep people away from the light, to keep them in bondage of spiritual darkness. But as I said, the truth of God, when embraced, can set a person free. The truth is always stronger than a lie. Even though Satan has filled this world with false doctrines, false you know, teaching, which if people embrace, they will be destroyed forever, the truth of God can set them free if they will only listen and embrace it. That's why Jesus warned us against false teachers who would come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly would be voracious wolves wanting to devour people. Jesus said that like the devil they represent, they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To steal the gift of eternal life that God wants you to have, to kill and destroy you forever in hell. Jesus told us, that the time just prior to his return would be characterized by unprecedented worldwide religious deception. He said in Matthew 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. They will have miraculous power, but it will be used to deceive people. If possible, even the elect, Jesus said, but... I have warned you beforehand. Now, the Bible tells us that a world leader will arise and unite the world in a one world government. We call him the Antichrist. The Bible also tells us that he's going to have a cohort called the false prophet who will unite the world in a one world religion. And together they will deceive the whole world except for a small minority of people who will come to Christ during the tribulation period. We know that. That's coming. But Paul the Apostle said the, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. In other words, the devil is already preparing the world to receive this false Messiah and to embrace his false gospel when he comes, a gospel that the Bible calls the lie. Paul the Apostle talked about the coming of the Antichrist. And he said the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Again, miracles that are intended to deceive. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? 
because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. People reject the truth, the gospel. They don't want anything to do with it. And because of this, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Not a lie, but the lie. It's a very specific satanic lie that the devil planted in the Garden of Eden many, many centuries ago. He used on Eve and then Adam. It's a lie that has been growing and developing over the centuries. And very soon, the fruit of this evil tree is going to be ripe enough, and the whole world, except for a few, will partake and be deceived with the ultimate satanic deception. I just think it's interesting that the very lie that Satan used to cause the human race to fall in the beginning is going to become the ultimate satanic deception that he will use against the human race in the end. Satan has no new tricks. He just he just has a one little bag of tricks that he uses very effectively on people, and he just the same old lie. He just keeps bringing it back. C.S. Lewis, great Christian apologist, studied the major religions and cults of the world. Instead, he traced them all back to two primary sources, Judeo-Christianity and Hinduism, both of which got their start in the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, you had the truth of God, which became Judeo-Christianity, and you had the lie of the devil. You say, well, wait a minute, what is Buddhism? Buddhism is a, is a Hindu cult. Buddha was a Hindu monk who was uh, unhappy with the caste system and some other things, so he decided to make his own religious system based on Hinduism. You say, what about Jehovah's Witnesses? They're a Christian cult. They deny the deity of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ. You say, what about Mormonism? Mormonism is both a Hindu and a Christian cult. It takes aspects from both. You can trace everything back to the Garden of Eden, and especially all the false religions and cults in the world got started in the Garden with the very lie that Satan told Eve, which has four elements to it. We looked at the first two last week. Let me just review them quickly. These come out of Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, which I'm not going to read again. I'll let you read those on your own. But the first element of this lie that Satan told Eve was that God is not personal, but an impersonal force that fills the universe. Now, a force like electricity is impersonal, right? And it's amoral. So that's very convenient for the people of the world that want to believe in God as a force because, you know, a force is not going to hassle you with morals. A force has no standard of righteousness as a personal God would have. So those people that believe that God is an impersonal force, they don't believe in absolute truth. Big surprise. They believe truth is relative. Maybe you've heard them. Well, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You've got to look within yourself to find out what's right for you and what's wrong for you. What's right for you might not be right for me, and vice versa. That's what that leads to. The second element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that there is no ultimate death. When he said to her, Eve, hasn't God said you can eat of all the trees in the garden? And she said, well, he said we can eat of all the trees except for the fruit of one tree tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, we can't eat of the fruit of that tree, nor can we even touch it lest we die. And Satan said to her, what? You will not surely die. He was saying to her, Eve, there is no ultimate death. Don't you know that? You will not surely die. Of course, this then became the basis for the doctrine of reincarnation. 
Reincarnation is the spiritual process of is the process of spiritual evolution, whereby our spirit keeps getting reincarnated on the earth or recycled, if you will. Each time we come back, you know, in inhabiting a different body, hopefully this time around we'll live a better life, a more moral life, we'll live a more enlightened life until finally we reach or ascend to Godhood. Of course, the main problem, as we pointed out last week with the doctrine of reincarnation, is that it does away with the reality of judgment in hell. It does away with the reality of judgment in hell. Even though the Bible clearly says it is appointed for a man to die once, and after this comes what? The judgment. Reincarnation says, no, 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 there is no judgment. There's no ultimate death. You don't get judged when you die. You just simply get another chance to come back to the earth and do better next time. What a comforting thought. There's no judgment. All right, so I'm not perfect. I mess up. Next time I'll do better. There's no motivation to get my life right with God. There's no, there's no um, sense of urgency, as Paul said, flee the wrath to come. God's judgment is coming upon a Christ-rejecting world. You don't have to be a part of it because God loved the world so much He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not have to perish and go to hell but would have everlasting life. For God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God is giving us time, the people of this world, I should say, to repent. But if you take away the fear of consequences for sin, will you lull people into a false sense of security. Hey, sin's no big deal. There's no such thing as sin. It's just your truth and my truth, and it's all relative. And Satan's masterstroke to lull the people of this world into a false sense of security when God says judgment is surely coming upon those who have rejected my son. Now, of course, reincarnation works according to the law of karma. We talked about that last week in detail, so if you want to really understand this, get the CD from last week. But... That brings us now to where we left off. The third element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that she could become God. She could become God. Satan said to her, For God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. Eve, you'll ascend to Godhood. I mean, since we're all a part of this God force that flows through everything, people and rocks and trees and birds and so on, well, then all is God. This is what is known as pantheism. One expert defined pantheism this way. According to pantheism, God is all in all. The world is God and God is the world, but more precisely in pantheism, all is God and God is all. Well, if all is God, then that means that I am God. And that's exactly what Shirley MacLaine, one of the principal spokespersons for the New Age movement, clearly points out in her book, Dancing in the Light, when she said, and I'm just quoting her, I know that I exist, therefore I am. I know that God, the God's source exists, therefore it is. Since I am a part of that force, then I am that I am. Now, in case you missed that, that is the very name of God. When Moses stood before the burning bush and God spoke to him and said, Look, I'm going to send you to my people. I'm going to let you know, them know that I am going to be setting them free from the bondage of Egypt. And Moses said, Well, Lord, what if your people say to me, 
How do we know God sent you? What's his name? What am I supposed to say? And God said, you tell them, I am that I am. That's my name. So Shirley MacLaine is calling herself the great I am. But see, this is nothing new. This is a rebellion. This self-deification started way before her. It goes all the way back into heaven before the earth was ever created. Because that was the very rebellion of Lucifer, remember? Lucifer was the most beautiful, perfect angel God ever created, and God put him above all the other angels of heaven. But Lucifer wasn't happy with being number two. He wanted to be God. And so in Isaiah chapter 14, God laments and says, Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who did weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And for that rebellion, Lucifer fell. And he became the devil and Satan. And then he exported that rebellion to the earth and deceived Eve with it. And man has bought into it wholesale, especially in our day. Well, again, it's very convenient if I make myself God. <laughs> because then, honestly, if I'm God, I'm free to worship myself. I'm free to live for myself. I don't have to answer to anybody but myself. The fourth element of the lie that Satan told Eve was that godhood could be achieved through the tree of, of knowledge. Or, in other words, the path to godhood is through enlightenment. Again, Satan said to her, Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, your eyes will be opened, you'll be enlightened, and you will be like God. You'll ascend to godhood. Now, those involved in Hinduism and in the New Age movement, both, both of which are based on pantheism, believe that although man is God, he's forgotten that he's God. We're God, but we just forgot it. So what needs to happen is that we must come to a higher level of consciousness or enlightenment until we realize our own divinity, or what they call our higher self. Now, there are techniques that you can use to achieve enlightenment. Transcendental meditation is one technique. You can use psychotropic drugs like LSD. You can use yoga. Listen, folks, yoga is not a harmless exercise regimen. The word yoga comes from a word that means to yoke. And it was developed by Hindu monks to help them yoke with Brahman, the Hindu god. And it's all designed to get you to, to, to know how to release the kundalini power within, which they liken to a serpent coiled at the base of the spine. And, and, and you, it, it works up through seven different levels uh, that, that will release more and more power. This is not a harmless meditation or exercise thing. Oh, but I look at it that way. The devil doesn't. There's a lot of people that get into things without really intending to do anything wrong, but the devil doesn't care. As long as you get into his things, he'll use them against you. We'll talk more about this when we see how this lie is infiltrated into the church in the weeks to come. So yoga is another way to achieve this enlightenment. You could do it through visualization, through the use of crystals or some other technique, but you must achieve enlightenment. 
You see, the only obstacle that stands in the way of you reaching Godhood and your full potential is the way you think. It's the way you perceive reality. You misperceive reality and impose upon it your own limitations. What you need to do is come to the realization, the awareness that you have infinite power within because the God force flows through you. You are God. But you're never going to start acting like God or living like God until you first realize that you are God. That's why Shirley MacLaine spends the first five minutes of every day reminding herself that she's God. Now, what kind of God forgets their God? Doesn't seem like much of a God to me. But here's where this leads. See, once you realize that you are God with the God force flowing through you and that you have unlimited power within just waiting to be tapped into through visualization, meditation, mantras, or some other technique, well, once you learn how to tap into this endless reservoir of power, you can then begin to use it to work miracles, overcome weaknesses, heal sicknesses, achieve success and wealth, to create your own reality, to be boss, to be you know, master of your own destiny, to make the world a better place. Never seen the world get any better by people who were thinking that they were gods. But this is the lie of the devil, which has become the lie of Hinduism and the New Age movement. And I believe it's going to be the, the lie that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to deceive the whole world with soon. I mean, face it, folks, think about it. These uh, people that buy into this say, look, if you could just tap into that power, you could reach, you know, realize your own divinity, start living like God. Well, here comes a couple of people, the Antichrist and the false prophet who are preaching this message, and they're going to say, look at us. We've learned to tap into it. We have miraculous power. And the Bible says they will have the ability to do lying signs and wonders. Real miracles that will be designed to deceive. Well, if you don't know the truth of God, if you don't understand what the Bible says about this kind of thing, and you see two characters preaching this gospel that you can be, you're really God, you just need to realize that and tap into this unlimited potential, that's a pretty appealing message, isn't it? There's no cross involved. There's no dying to self. That sounds pretty good. I can, I'm God. I don't have to answer to anybody. I, I'm my own God. I can have power. Look, at these guys have real power. They can work miracles. I want that power. And so the whole world is going to be basically uh, deceived by these individuals, except for a small group that will come to Christ during the tribulation period. Now, in contrast to the devil's lie, God has given us the truth. Jesus Christ said, Father, your word is truth. The psalmist said, your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Isaiah said, if they do not speak according to this word, the word of God, anybody claiming to represent God, if they don't speak according to this word, the word of God, it is because there is no light in them. There's no truth. Let's look at each of these elements of this lie and see what the word of God has to say in response. First of all, God is not personal, but an impersonal force. Well, the Bible says very clearly that our God, the God who created everything, is a personal God. He's pers he is a person. He creates, he speaks, he loves, he grieves, he saves, and he judges. 
I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 94, verses 8 through 11. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, understand you senseless among the people. I just almost hear him saying, Shirley, dear, listen up. And you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. And listen to what the psalmist through the Holy Spirit is saying. If anyone says that God is less than the creation, they're a fool. For people to say that God is an impersonal force, an impersonal force can't think, can't reason, can't speak, can't see, can't hear. And yet God, the God who made us, is personal and made us in his own image and after his own likeness. He gave us eyes because he can see. He gave us ears because he can hear. He gave us mouths because he can speak. And he expects us to be smart enough, because that's how he's made us, with the ability to learn and comprehend. He expects us to understand that anybody who says that God is a force and not a person who can't think or see or hear or speak, they're a fool for believing that. God is not less than his creation. He's more than his creation. So God is definitely a personal God. The second element of the lie, there is no ultimate death. Well, in fact, the Bible teaches there are two kinds of death a person can experience. One physical and the other spiritual, and both of them are ultimate. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, And it is appointed for a man to die once, but after this comes reincarnation? No, comes judgment, which is the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, The Bible talks about how those who have rejected Christ will someday stand before him and be judged and cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. It is appointed for a man to die once. That's physical death. And if a person rejects Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will stand before God and be judged someday and will be cast into hell, into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is spiritual and eternal. So yes, death is real. The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. It teaches resurrection. Jesus said in John 5, He said, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice, the voice of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and will come forth. Those who have done good, those who have received Christ and lived for God, will come forth to the resurrection of life. But those who have done evil, those who have rejected Christ and lived Uh, for themselves will come forth to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, those in the New Age movement will say, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. Yes, it does. Jesus himself said that John the Baptist was Elijah. So John was the reincarnation of Elijah's spirit. Is that really what Jesus was teaching? Well, let's look for a second. The Bible says that Elijah never died. He was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire, which meant his spirit was never released from his body to be reincarnated into John's body. Secondly, one day, a delegation sent from Jerusalem out to the wilderness of Judea to to interview this strange character that shows up wearing a kind of modified Tarzan outfit, you know, camel hair, 
get up with eating wild locusts and honey, and he's out there baptizing and telling people to repent and prepare themselves for the coming of Messiah. And so this grew quite a crowd, and and it drew the attention of the leaders in Israel. And so they sent a delegation of Pharisees and scribes out, and they met John, and they said, Look, are you the Messiah? John says, No. Are you Elijah? John says, I'm not. Well, are you the prophet that Moses talked about? No, I'm not him either. Well, who are you? He said, well, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. But John himself said, no, I am not Elijah. And then thirdly, in Matthew 17, when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, who appeared to him up there? Moses and Elijah. But by this time, John the Baptist had already lived and died. So if John had been the reincarnation of Elijah's spirit. It should have been Moses and John, the Baptist, who appeared on that mount to Jesus instead of Moses and Elijah. You say, well, what is all the confusion? Why did Jesus call John Elijah who was to come? When the angel Gabriel was dispatched to a very godly elderly priest named Zacharias in Luke chapter 1, Zacharias was married to, another, to a very godly woman named Elizabeth, and together they had wanted children for many years, but Elizabeth was barren. So one day, as Zacharias is ministering in the temple before the Lord, Gabriel appeared to him and said, Zacharias, I've got good news for you. The Lord has decreed that Elizabeth is going to conceive and bear a son, and you're to call his name John. He's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. He's not going to touch strong drink. He is going to be a Nazarite from birth, basically. He is going to call the nation back to God. He is going to go forth in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Elijah was a reformer. He, he called an apostate nation, Israel, back to God in his day. And so John was going to walk in the footsteps of Elijah. Not that he was going to be Elijah, but people, they get confused. So no, the Bible does not teach reincarnation. It teaches resurrection. And yes, there is ultimate death. Ultimately, separation from God forever in the lake of fire. That's why it's so important that we tell our loved ones the truth. There is a real day of judgment coming. And all who reject the love of the truth, they might be saved. If they die in their sins, there is no hope for them after that. Number three, we can become God. Well, the Bible says we are not God, nor will we ever become God. The good news is that the one and only true and living God has given us a wonderful offer the opportunity to become the children of God if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. At that point, we will become a new creation, but we'll never become the creator. Now, I know that right now, is, is somewhere along the line, somebody's going to hear this teaching, and one of them is going to be a Mormon, and they're going to say, wait a minute, what about what Jesus said in John 10, 34? Well, here's what Jesus said. He said to the Pharisees, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Now the Mormons zero in on that one verse and they make a whole doctrine out of it. Mormons believe if they are faithful to the Mormon church and their marriages are sealed within the Mormon temple, if they live a good life then, they can ascend to godhood and have their own planet, their own celestial family, their own Adam and their own Eve, they can become God. 
And one of the principal proof texts that they use is John 10, 34. But is that really what Jesus is talking about? Well, he said, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Where in the law of God is it written that people are gods? Well, turn to Exodus chapter 21. Just spend just a couple of minutes on this. It's going to come up eventually with somebody. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, I'm going to read this to you. But I'm going to tell you right, right up front, it doesn't come through in the English. It does come through in the Hebrew. Let me read it to you. God is laying down the consequences of a person violates the law. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. The word judges there is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's the plural for God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word here is Elohim. It's the plural for God. So in other words, it says, and he shall pay what the gods determine. In Exodus 22, verses 8 and 9, it says, if a thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges, to the gods, to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns a donkey, an ox, sheep, or clothing, or any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall, be, shall come before the judges or the gods, and whomever the gods condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Now, why is God calling the judges of Israel gods? Simply because they are standing in the place of God. God has given them the power of life and death in the sense that they, they have the ability to impose capital punishment. They are holding a person's life in their hands in a sense. And in that regard, they are standing in the, in the place of God. They are God's representatives to mete out justice to those who violate the law of God. They're not divine, although I think some of our judges today think they are. There's a lot of judges in this country who think that they're God, and they really think so. And they think that they can just do whatever they want because they answer to nobody. But the judges of Israel answered to God Almighty. And even though God had placed them in a, pla placed them in a place of uh, responsibility to be God's representatives, in that regard, he called them gods because they held people's lives in their hands in a sense. They became corrupt at one point. And so in Psalm 82, as God is talking about this, and you can read the whole psalm at your leisure, but in verses 6 and 7, God said, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But listen to what verse 7 says, and says, But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. See, God is saying, look, just because I've allowed you to stand in my place doesn't mean that you are God. It doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want to do. And in fact, you have corrupted justice. You have taken bribes. And therefore, even though I said you're God, you're going to die like men. See, your Mormon friends need to understand this. That God was not calling these people real gods in the sense that they were deity. Just like some people say, think they're God, but they're not. And listen to what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 10. 
Listen to what God said. But the Lord, all capitals, which means Yahweh or Jehovah. But Yahweh is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. God is saying, listen up all you gods with a little g out there, running around claiming to be God. If you didn't create the heavens and the earth, well, God with a big g wants you to know. If you don't repent, you're going to be judged and removed from the earth. And that's just the way it is. People can run around calling themselves God, you know, as Shirley MacLaine does, and gets up and says, I'm God, I'm God, I am the I am. And God looking down says, well, if you didn't make the heavens and the earth, Shirley, you can't take that title upon yourself. And in fact, if you don't repent, it's called idolatry, and idolatry is punishable by eternal death. People want to make the rules today. They want to do whatever seems right in their own eyes. But if they didn't create everything, they don't have the right to make the rules. The one who did create everything has made the rules. And we know ten of them very well. And they're not called the ten suggestions, the ten whatever, are called the ten commandments. Because God, who created everything, has imposed his standards upon this world. It's his world. He can do with it what he wants. And then fourthly and finally, that, that knowledge is the path to enlightenment. Well, knowledge is not the path to enlightenment unless that knowledge comes from the word of God, which, if a person reads, will enlighten them to the truth of God. And then, if they receive that truth into their hearts and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it will allow them to become a child of God and have a relationship with God. But knowledge is not the path to enlightenment, the path to godhood. Psalm 119, verse 30 says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now, if a person reads the word of God with a humble heart, really wanting to know the truth and wanting to know God, it's not going to enlighten them to their own divinity. It's going to enlighten them to their own depravity, right? Because as we read the pages of Scripture, we see how depraved we really are as human beings. But we also see in stark contrast this awesome, loving, gracious, merciful God who didn't want us to die and go to hell. And to go to hell. So he sent his son to die in our place that whoever believes in him would not have to perish in hell but would have everlasting life. For God so loved the people of this world that he gave his only begotten son, that God desires for all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that God is very long-suffering and patient, withholding his judgment, giving people more time to repent. That's the heart of our God. And as I come to know God, and as I study the word of God, it shows me how far short I fall. Divinity? I don't think so. Depravity? Yeah, that characterizes me. But if I accept that, it humbles me. And I get on my knees and I confess to God that I'm a sinner. And I desire to draw close to him. And by his grace, he brings me close. Because he exalts the humble, but he brings down the proud. 
And that's why it's so important for us to read the word and to realize the devil, yeah, he wants to get people in this world to be puffed up, to think that they're God. They make the rules. They live with how they want to live without any consequences. And God says it's all a lie. Don't buy into it. And along those lines, as we bring this to a close, the Bible also says, I have no power within me to create anything, whether through mind power or through mantras or any kind of other technique. God's in control. God has power. I'm so thankful that God is in control. I'm so thankful that I'm not God. I mean, think of the chaos that would result in this world that we were really all God. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, look at the mess the world is in right now with all these people running around who think they're God but have no power, divine power, to really be God. Can you imagine if they really had power? Oh, my goodness. What a world this would be. I mean, you know, it would be horrible. People using their power against each other and trying to impose their will on somebody else and vice versa. I'm just so thankful that I am not God. I mean, I can barely balance my checkbook and run my own house, let alone run the universe. I'm so thankful he's in control because only he is wise enough to be in control of everything and everyone. Now, the Bible says, though, that I can tap into the power of God. I can tap into the power of God through prayer, but never to control God, only to be used by God in being a channel and bringing his will to the earth. Remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was agonizing before his father, before he went to the cross? He said, Father, if there's any other way for people to be saved Let's go that way. Take that, this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's true prayer, folks. True prayer is saying, God, I don't want to try to manipulate you or control you because my will is defective. My will is polluted with self-interest. And I'm not wise enough to call the shots. But, Father, you know everything. You know what's best for my life. I want your will in my life and upon this earth your will that you've already decided in heaven, I want to be a channel that you might use to bring it to the earth in prayer and through the way I obey you. That's what prayer is really all about. Yeah, there is, really, there is real power in prayer, not because prayer is powerful and not because I have any power within me. The power is all in God, and I can tap into that power and become a channel for God to use to bring that power to the earth to save people and to change circumstances and things that are according to his will. But if I try to manipulate God through prayer, try to impose my will on God and kind of, you know, try to, try to word my prayers in such a way that I'm really kind of buttering God up to manipulate him to do my will, prayer is useless. It's useless. Because as John said, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we're going to have those things because they're according to his will. So prayer is powerful as long as I get my will in alignment with his will. All right, well, we're through. I just want to say this. We set this up for next time. This lie that the devil planted in the Garden of Eden has been growing and spreading for thousands of years and has become a tree, really, in a sense, that has filled the whole earth with the deadly fruit of false doctrine. It has branched out into many directions. Each branch is kind of like a different religion or cult. 
Each has a little variation on the lie. But at the heart, they're all basically the same. And next time, I want to look a little bit at some of this, these branches, these, these false doctrines and movements and religions that have grown out of this basic lie. Now, some of them are easy to pick. Some are easy to, to see. Some you might be a little surprised about. Because sometimes the deception is very obvious. Sometimes it's very subtle. But I want you to know this. We have been given the charge by God to go in the world, into all the world and be a light. We have the truth. And we are walking into a dark world that Satan is in, in control of, where he has filled it with lies and deception. And here we come with the truth. We're going to be attacked. But if we're going to earnestly contend for the faith and be used by God effectively in these last days... Yes, we need to know the truth really well, and we'll get to that eventually. But we also need to understand some of the lies of the devil so we can understand what he's pumped into people's heads because that really is where spiritual warfare takes place. We've already said this before. It's a battle for control of their thought life, their thinking. And the only way to bring down strongholds in the mind that Satan has filled people with false doctrine and things is to be able to give them the truth. So we need to understand that. And as God leads us, I pray he gives us grace to really understand what the devil is doing and then to really know the truth of God so well that we can use it to fight the battle. It's an important battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us in darkness. You've given us your word, your light. And as long as we will walk in um, accordance with your word, the truth of your word will light our path through the darkness of this world. Father, so many of your people, though, have strayed from the word. They've gotten into things, maybe innocently, but things that have been designed by the devil to ensnare them, to trip them up, and to rob them of their effectiveness for you. I pray, Lord, through this study, through this series, you'll bring them back to the truth, that we would walk in your truth. Only the truth can set us free from the lies of the devil. So, Lord, give us the grace to embrace the truth, to love your truth, to live that truth, and to share it with everyone we come in contact with. For we ask it in Jesus' name.